Thank you, Aaron. How's everybody doing today? Well, Happy New Year. I hope you all have got some fun plans for later today. I hope to just get some sleep. We'll see how that goes. Some of you know, some of you don't. we got a newborn at home, and I'll take any kind of sleep we can get right now. If my wife's not watching, it is okay because she can get some sleep. She is... She can go right ahead. Uh, but uh, I'm very thankful that Brother Jeff asked me to preach today. I, I, I love preaching. Uh, for those of y'all that know my calling, my calling is to preach and teach. Uh, I, I absolutely love it. Uh, I love working with the youth and, and this new venture coming up in the new year. Uh, love being able to do that. So uh, thank you, Pastor Jeff, for uh, this opportunity. And uh, when he asked, uh, I began to pray and, and just kind of look and see what, what we're going to talk about. Uh, today and, and Lord kind of led me to some a passage that we actually discussed in youth probably about a year or so ago and and I really wanted to talk about it today uh, and its focus really is on evangelism uh, and it as I thought about the new year I was like all right so New Year's you know we do New Year's resolutions my family's never really been big on New Year's resolutions but you know a lot of people do them but it's something we do think of with this new year new venture coming. Uh, we, we kind of make these commitments. So like, oh, you know what? This year I'm going to be better at this. And, and so in light of that, I wanted to kind of think of, well, what could we do this year and improve on it and just, just look forward to and, and say, well, maybe I can do better on this. Uh, and that's what we're, we're going to look at today is, is evangelism. So uh, if you've got your Bibles, uh, if you don't have a Bible under your seat, you should find a Bible or you can use your device. We're going to be in John today. John chapter 4, we're going to be looking at verses 27 through 42. 27 through 42. Uh, and while you're turning there, I want to read you some lyrics from a song. So I'm, I'm kind of old school. My parents grew up, uh, I grew up with my parents watching the Gaithers and the homecomings, and like, loved it. Still love it to this day. I don't watch it near as much as I used to, but I love that kind of stuff growing up. And so some of y'all may have heard the group, The Kingsmen. Okay, this is a song that they did way back when. It's called Excuses. So, and as you can see from the title of the sermon today, no excuses good enough. So in light of that, here's the lyrics to the song. I'm not going to sing it by no means. No, I won't, I won't do that to you. But here's the lyrics to it. Uh, I thought this was very fitting. It says, excuses, excuses. You'll hear them every day. And the devil, he'll supply them if the church, you stay away. When people come to know the Lord, the devil always loses. So to keep them folks away from church, he offers them excuses. In the summer, it's too hot. In the winter, it's too cold. In the springtime, when the weather's just right, you find someplace else to go. Well, it's up to the mountains or down to the beach or to visit some old friend or to just stay home and kind of relax and hope that some kin folks may drop in. Well, the church benches are too hard, and the choir sings way too loud. Boy, you know how nervous you get when you're sitting in a great big crowd. The doctor told you, now you better watch out for them crowds. They'll set you back. But you go to that old ball game because it helps you to relax. Well, a headache on Sunday morning, a backache Sunday night, but work time Monday morning, you're feeling quite all right. Well, one of the children has a cold. Pneumonia, do you suppose? Well, the whole family had to stay home just to blow that poor kid's nose. Well, the preacher, he's too young, and maybe he's too old. His sermons, they're not hard enough, but maybe they're too bold. His voice is much too quiet-like, and sometimes he's too loud. He needs to have more dignity, or else he's just way too proud. Well, the sermons, they're too long, or maybe they're too short. He ought to preach the word with dignity instead of stomp and snort. 
Well, that preacher we've got must be the world's most stuck-up man. Well, one lady told me the other day, he didn't even shake my hand. Excuses, excuses. We hear them every day. I thought that was, uh, if you've never heard that song, do yourself a favor. Go look it up. It, you're going to be laughing the whole time through it. It is great. Uh, anyway, so, but as I was reading this, it, it just kind of, that song just kind of came to me. I thought it was really uh, really intriguing as we talk about this today uh, and, and how, hey, no excuse is good enough. We can always come up with some. Uh, and, and when it comes to evangelism, especially, we always tend to make excuses. And, and, and just like the song said, we hear them every day. And that's why I want to look at what is no doubt the best template for doing evangelism. And, and that's when Jesus talked to the woman at the well. So we're going to be picking up in a random spot kind of in, in John chapter 4. So I want to put it in context. Something I always tell the youth, context is king. Okay, You always want to put it in context. Don't want to just pull things out here and there. Context is king. You get to know what you're talking about, what's before, what's after, what's happening here. So where we're picking up in John, hey, uh, this is Jesus had just left Judea. Okay, uh, Jerusalem particularly, and he's heading to Galilee. But on their way, they stop in Sychar, which is in Samaria. Um, and this is where Jesus encounters the woman at Jacob's well. And that's where we're going to pick up. It's right after Jesus tells the woman that he is Christ. He is the Messiah. Uh, so that's, that's where we're going to dive into. Once again, we're going to start in verse 27. So let's, as one professor always, always told me, we're going to immerse ourselves in the text. It's like going in the pool. We're not going to just put our feet in. We're going to jump right in like we're jumping to the pool. We're going to immerse ourselves in the text. So let's read God's word. Verse 27. Then the disciples arrived, and they were amazed that he was talking to, with a woman. Yet no one said, what do you want, or why are you talking with her? Then the woman left her water jar, went into town, and told the people, Come, see the man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Messiah? They left the town and made their way to him. In the meantime, the disciples kept urging him, Rabbi, eat something. But he said, I have food to eat that you don't know about. And the disciples said to one another, Could someone have brought him something to eat? My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. Jesus told them, Don't you say there are still four months and then comes the harvest? Listen to what I'm telling you. Open your eyes and look at the fields because they are ready for harvest. They are white for the harvest. The reaper is already receiving pay and gathering fruit for eternal life so that the sower and the reaper can rejoice together. For in this case, the saying is true. One sows and another reaps. I sent you to reap what you did not labor for. Others have labored, and you have benefited from their labor. Verse 39. Now many Samaritans from the town believed in him because of what the woman said when she testified. He told me everything I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they asked him to stay with them, and he stayed there for two days. Many more believed because of what he said. And they told the woman, We no longer believe because of what you said, since we have heard for ourselves and know that this really is the Savior of the world. May God's, God bless the reading of his inerrant and infallible word. All right, so one thing I always tell the youth or wherever I, I preach at, we always want to be Captain Obvious. You know, we don't want to make it complicated. So when we look at a, a passage, we want to kind of pull out what, what's kind of the main point going on here. There can be several ones just... 
as true it is for this text and several others, it can be a lot of different points for it. But one of the main things we see here is that Jesus didn't let any excuse or Jewish customs get in the way of sharing the good news. Okay, that, that, That's one of the main points we can see there. And the main thing I want us to look at today is that Jesus wants us to throw all of our excuses to the side and to tell someone the good news. That's what I really want us to focus on today. So I, I want to give you four different components of, of telling others the good news and why we should do it. So the first one is this. We should tell someone despite their history and their looks. We should tell someone despite their history and their looks. So if you go back to the first few verses, verses 27 through 30, so we, here we can see that Jesus, he still talked to her, this woman at the well, despite what, what others thought. And you really had to put this in the context to really understand what's going on here and, and what it meant for a Jewish man to be talking to a Samaritan, let alone a Samaritan woman. Like That, 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 that was just unheard of. Okay, during this time, the Jews and the Samaritans, they, they just didn't get along. That's the easiest way to put it. They did not get along. There was a hatred between them, and mainly on the Jewish side. They just, there was no compatibility, and you had a woman being that to the mix with a Jewish man. Man, that's just even more. Like, so you got to understand how awkward this conversation really is that is happening in general, especially for this woman. She's like, you, what are you talking to me? So do understand like that, that this is very significant here. So, uh, but not only that, uh, but the disciples were in amazement. If you look back at verse 27, it mainly comes from the, you know, we, we see that like, what do you want? Why are you talking to her? You know, uh, so, uh, and, and this is so, we see this because of common teaching. So no joke, this, this is what one person said. Because of the common teaching then, talking too much to women, even one's wife, was considered a waste of time. Because it was diverting one's attention from the study of Scripture and reflection on God. Man, how many of you think that today? Don't answer it because you might get slapped. But seriously, that was, that was one of the, the main outlooks. They truly believed that that was a waste of time. Don't talk to women. You need to be focusing on God. So it's crazy to think of. But not, not only were the disciples amazed, though, at, at Jesus talking to the woman... But the woman was also amazed. Once again, it kind of was a two-way thing. Because if you know what happens before this, Jesus had just told her that, that he was the Christ, that she was talking to the Messiah, that she was talking about, oh, one day he's going to come. Uh, and, and, and he also had just called her out on her lifestyle. He was like, oh, go get your husband. I don't have a husband. Yeah, you're right. You've had five. You actually are with a man that you're, that's not currently your husband. He's like, you must be a prophet. Yeah. Yeah, he called me out there. Um, but this woman, she did not have a very high standing in her town. That's, that's about the best way to look at it. She didn't have a very high standing in her town. Hence why she was getting water at the hottest part of the day. If you go to the beginning of chapter 4, they just made this journey. He's worn out, and it's at noon, right? Nobody went to get water at noon. And there's a reason this woman is getting the water at noon and not in the morning with all the other women. It, it, it's, it's because of her standing. It, it wasn't very good uh, with where she was at in life. And, and a good way to look at it is that sin had just it, it had been eating her up. It, it had chewed her up and just, just spit her out, basically. She, she, she's had a rough life. 
And what makes it, 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 that fact, it makes it even more crazy that the town, like we just read, like they stopped what they were doing to come see this man that she was talking about. Like this person that was not looked very high upon in society, they were like, whoa, she's, something's up. And so they're dropping everything and they're going to see this. That, that, that makes it even more powerful about what's going on here. And what we really need to get from this first part here is that it doesn't matter whether we think someone is too far gone or, or if they just don't look like a Christian should look, right? We have this mentality that they, they just wouldn't, they wouldn't fit in the church. They're, they're just not, there's no way. No, okay? Our job is to tell the good news because God's going to do the rest. I love what Greg Lowry said. He said this, he said, remember, you and I are just beggars telling another beggar where to find food. We are not superior to anyone else. So Christian, that's what I want you to think of today. What are, what are you holding back? Well, are you holding back from telling someone because maybe you think they just might not be a good fit? Right? It's not our job to decide. Our job is to spread the word. Our job is to spread the word and tell these people about the most fulfilling food that there is. Or, or like he, or Jesus was telling the woman at the well, hey, you're going to give me this water, but I got water that, that's going to quench your thirst forever. Give me that water. That's our job is to tell people about this water where they're never going to thirst again. And to the non-believer, what I want you to get from this is that no matter what you may have heard or, or, or believe, know that you're never too far gone. You're never too far gone to be able to come to Christ or come back to Christ. There, there's no sin that you can commit that cannot be washed pure and clean by the blood of Christ. Nothing. And while I was going through this, it made me think of a, a, a person and my parents are actually here today, so you can actually ask my dad about this man. But his name was Red, Red Lee. And this made me think of Red. Uh, if you saw Red, man, you think, there ain't no way that boy will ever be Christian. Like he, 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 fiery red hair, down to the smallest back, ponytail, Alabama tattoos covering his body, smoke like a chimney. Like he, you see that man, you're like, there ain't no way he's going to church on a Sunday. Like, yeah. But. That man, and he, he, did, he did live a, a crazy lifestyle for a long time. Uh, but Red was a very interesting man, and, and, and he was a hard worker. So when my dad, several years ago, he started a business, and he got Red to come with him. And uh, during that journey, you know, he, he, my dad had got, had got a company truck for him, and then he got another one for Red. And he said, Red, I trust you. You're a great guy. Hey, use it as your own. Take care of it, because Red was that kind of guy. He was just going to take care of stuff. He got the job done. He was a project manager. My dad was in construction. Like, Red was just kind of guy who was going to do it and do it right, and you didn't have to worry about Red. And he was just a rock and roll kind of dude, just, just one of the, he, he just wild and crazy. And life just kind of got rough for Red, okay? The easiest way to put it, simplest, simplest way to put it. And he decided one day that it's just, it's, it's time to end it. And where Red lived, there's a notorious road. It's got a bad turn to it. Uh, and several people have had wrecks there. And it's just a big, sharp turn. And right at the end of that was a big oak tree. And he knew that if I get to the top of this hill and I just gun it, I'll die. If I hit that tree hard enough, it's over. 
And so that was his plan. He planned to go back up the hill. He turned around, went up to the hill. He's like, I'm going to go out in a blaze of glory. He's a you know old school rock and roll kind of guy. So he's going to turn the radio up, blast that music, and just pff, go. When he gets to the top of the hill, he goes to turn the radio on. Once again, this is a newer truck, not like a brand new truck. It's a newer truck. No problems. The radio's worked fine in the past. Radio wouldn't work. Tried to adjust it, wouldn't do, wouldn't do. He gets mad and just boom, hits the dash. Radio kicks on. It's not on the station he wants it to be. It actually turns on to David Jeremiah, of all people. And he couldn't change the radio. It wouldn't change. So he sat there and listened. And sitting at that top of the hill, trying to kill himself, he gave his life to Christ right there. A man that people thought would never, ever set a foot in the church or come to know Jesus because of a radio station preacher came to know Christ. So what I want you to get from that is that we can't make that judgment because the gospel is not exclusive. It's all-inclusive. It's all-inclusive. Origen, one of our early church fathers, he has a quote when dealing with this passage, and I thought it was very fitting. He, when he's talking about the woman at the well here, he says that we learn that Jesus is meek and lowly in heart and does not disdain, does not reject to speak to such great matters with this woman. We, however, carried away with pride and arrogance, despise those below us and forget that the words let us make man according to our image and according to our likeness apply to everyone. It applies to everyone. And that kind of leads to the next point. The next point is that we need to tell someone no matter our physical condition. Tell someone no matter our physical condition. So if you go back to the uh, next few verses, verses 31 through 34 here, we can see that Jesus, he didn't need to eat food to be satisfied, right? Uh, his satisfaction came from doing the work of God. Uh, we literally uh, can read that there. And, and this passage is actually echoing a little bit of Deuteronomy 3 here, where it says that man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. Okay? Now, once again, you've got to put into context what's going on here. If you go to the beginning of the, book, the, the chapter here, it says they just made this journey. So I got, there's a couple of uh, images here. If you can throw the first one up. It's kind of beginning hard to see. If you're on live stream, it's going to be a lot easier. So in the middle of that map is Jerusalem. Where that red pin is up there, that's Sychar, Jacob's well. Okay. So I was in surveying and engineering for 16 years. Maps were my life. I used to make maps. That was I loved it. So uh, I love being able to see things like this to kind of understand the point here. That ain't no flat surface. Okay. <laughs> Those ridges, that's mountainous terrain. So he walked from Jerusalem up to Sychar. So if you go to the next image, and it'll kind of put it into to, uh, view of what, what's going on here. Maybe it can be kind of hard to see, but at the very bottom is Jerusalem. The very top, once again, is Sychar. And as you can see, there ain't no straight line. It's whipping and weaving, so they made this journey of 55 miles. That's how far it is from Jerusalem to Sychar. So Jesus and the disciples have just walked 55 Five miles. Crow's flight's about 40 miles. Through that rough terrain is around 55 miles of walking. Okay, from right here at this church to downtown Montgomery is pretty much 55 miles. If you were to walk it, and it ain't mountainous by no means, if you were to walk it, it'd take you around 20 hours to walk that. So think about that. 
this over 24 hours for them to walk this most likely to be able to go from there to there so they're slap worn out right if you put yourself in that context I'd probably be pretty tired myself it's a lot of walking it ain't flat so yeah you, you can understand why when it says that Jesus was worn out after his journey that it's pretty justifiable there he probably was worn out so I say all that because once again we got to understand what's going on here He's worn out. He sits down at this well. And despite his physical condition from walking miles on very hilly terrain, Jesus still talked to this woman. And he didn't do like most of us would have done. He didn't make the excuse of, I'm just too tired to talk right now. Or, you know, I, I just need to rest and then I can talk to her, right? Just give me, I need to chill out, let me sit, give me some of that water, then I'll talk to her. No. Or, or the biggest huge, I'm just not in the mood to do it right now, right? Just not in the mood. No. He was performing the will of the Father. And he received a greater nourishment and satisfaction than, than any physical food or thing that, uh, that, that could give him. Water couldn't have done it. Food couldn't have done it. He got satisfaction from above. Okay? And, and what this shows us, this food from the Lord, it shows us that Evangelism that was happening right here, that was a priority over physical needs. He could have easily just said, No, I'm too tired. My body's worn out. But he said, No, my physical needs are secondary to God's needs. I'm going to do what He's called me to do and what I'm here for. And what we need to draw from this is that spreading the gospel and, and accomplishing His mission. It needs to be more important than us worrying about our physical needs. Whether that be food or whatever it is. Spreading his word needs to take priority over what we think our issues are. And oh well, I can't do this because of X. Because he provides and he sustains in a way that, that nothing else can. This is what one preacher, and then half the youth are going to laugh because I'm always quoting Spurgeon. Yes, half of them just shook their head. I love Spurgeon. So he says this in light of this passage. It's very fitting. He says, when we have conquered ourselves, we have conquered all. When we have won the victory over our own desires and dislikes and have muted ourselves through sovereign grace to the will of God, then we will be perfectly happy. You get that there? When we have conquered ourselves and putting God first and doing His will, then we will be perfectly happy. And, and that really comes to the passage of Philippians 4, 7, of that peace that surpasses all understanding. That's how we can see that. When we, we are fully in with God and say, man, it's all about you. It's not about me and my needs. It's about you, God. That's when we get that peace that surpasses all, all understanding. And that's what I want to ask you today, believer. It's when is the last time you experienced that kind of peace? Or are you still relying on yourself? Because you don't have to. All you have to do is go to Him and trust in Him. And to the non-believer, what I want you to, to get from this is that God will sustain you through whatever circumstances or events that you're facing. But in order to have that sustaining power, and this peace that surpasses all understanding, you first have to know, come to know Christ. That's where it's coming from. 
can't just do it and say, no, I don't need that relationship. No, this peace, this comfort, this living water, this fulfillment comes through a relationship with Christ and nothing else. You can't get that fulfillment from anybody else except through him. And that leads us to our next point, is that we need to tell someone because the lost are ready now. We need to tell someone because the lost are ready now. So you look back in the next few verses, verses 35 through 38, here we see that Jesus explained uh, that the time to go is now because the seed had already been planted, like he said, the people have already sowed, so the people already planted, uh, and, and the time for the harvest, time for the reaping is now. And, and Jesus used the fact that they were surrounded by crops, so where they're at by this well, there's crops around them, uh, and, and he used that setting to illustrate to the disciples what, what was kind of happening here. Uh, it was basically saying that, hey, while these crops still have four months until they're ready for the harvest, to the ripe, or, or the translation is white, uh, so those fields would turn white and you knew it was ready for the harvest to gather it up. Well, these still have four months for these crops to be ready. The time for my harvest, he's saying, the time for the harvest is now. For my harvest is now. The harvest of my people. There's no four months in waiting. No, the time has come. The time is now. Jesus was telling them to open their eyes because the townspeople who were coming, uh, the harvest, okay, they were the harvest. They were coming to them, and they were ripened and ready for the reaping. They were ready to be picked. Okay, there was no waiting. There was no putting it off. The time was right then and right there. The time was now. And Jesus also is explaining here uh, to his disciples that, that even though they had not done the labor, right, they had not done the sowing, but you're going to do the reaping. You're going to do the gathering up. And... and and what he goes on to say there, too, is that the sower and the reaper are one day going to rejoice together. So for those of you that may not know the context of that, so you, you sow and reap. So if you ever farm, you sow seed, right? You put seed out, and then when time comes, however many months down the road, you reap it. You gather it, right? So that's what he's getting at here. We have sowers that are sowing the seed of the good news, and you have people that are gathering up, people that are, are, are coming to them and, and preaching the word and they are believing. That's gathering the harvest. And what he's saying is that the sower and the reaper, well, one day they are going to rejoice together. Like in this instance, they're about to, go to rejoice together. But also, later on too, so they're going to they're come together with them. This age or the next is what it's kind of getting at. And what we need to get from this is, is that the same goes for us. Okay, the harvest is ripe for the picking. And the time to do it is now, not later. The time is now. So don't be afraid. Whether you're sowing or reaping, you don't have to be afraid. Because the harvest is ready. That's what we need to ask ourselves. Are you ready? The time's now. It's not four months later and then we... No. The time for the harvest is now. Are you ready? Because... There's no time for excuses. Eternity is at stake for people's lives. There's no more time for excuses and putting it off. The time is now. And for the non-believer, what I want to ask you is, are you going to let today be the harvest? Is God calling your number? 
Are you right for the picking? Because I think you are. I think today is the day. While I was reading this, it made me think of back when we lived in Tuscaloosa. For those of you that don't know, I'm from Tuscaloosa. Grew up there. And uh, when me and Jennifer got married, we lived there for 10 years. And, and so then we, we kind of lived out in the country. We had a little bit of land, not much. But we had enough to have a nice little garden. And it was nothing special by no means, but uh, the soil we had was good for certain things. We, you know, tomatoes, cantaloupe, watermelon, stuff like that. Loved doing that. So we had a nice little garden to the side and loved it. And my favorite thing is, is cantaloupe. I'm a big cantaloupe person. Like, I'll eat it all day, every day. Uh, so I loved it, and the fact that I could grow it was even better. So, but growing through that, growing that cantaloupe, it was you know you find out when is a good time to pick it. You go out there and you move it around, but with cantaloupe, you know when it's just right. Like when when you go to cut it, there's like skin, and there's nothing you can literally eat it to the skin. You knew when it was just right when you would move it around. If it wasn't ready yet, it it still stayed on the vine. But when it was perfect, all you had to do was move it, and that vine just. It just, it just popped off. I mean, like, no effort whatsoever. It just, it just came off. And you knew, like, oh, this one's perfect. And you take it inside, and 100% of the time, it was just mouth-watering goodness. Like, it was just right. And, and I say that because in the same way, God knows when the sowing is perfect for the harvest. And for some of you, that's today. That's today. This leads us to our last point, is that we need to tell someone we don't need to worry about the outcome. We need to tell someone and don't worry about the outcome. So if you look at the last few verses, verses 39 through 42 here, here Jesus used the woman to sow the seed, and he reaped the harvest of the Samaritan people. And in this event, it actually represents the first instance of like cross-curled cross-cultural evangelism that we can see in the Bible. It marked the, the first worldwide reach of, of his saving mission. And he had left Jerusalem, and this is it. This is, is, is his first thing of evangelism when he, after he left Jerusalem. And, and the town, they came because of this woman's testimony. And, and even though she didn't give like the most accurate description of what Jesus told her. Like, he told me everything I ever did. Like, he didn't, of course, do that. He, he gave a pretty good gut punch to her there. But, you know, he didn't tell her. Uh, he didn't tell her everything. But he get, she gave a pretty decent description. Um, but the thing is, she was genuine. And she was sincere. And they came. They see this woman. And they're like, is this, this must be the Messiah. And they're like, whoa we got to go see this for ourselves. Like, that shows you how genuine and sincere she was about what was going on here. And because of her faith, the people went on. If you go back to verse 42, um, there it says, they say that we no longer believe because of what you say, uh, since we have heard for ourselves and know that this really is a Savior of the world. Hey, because of her faith, the people went on to live out 2 Peter 3.8 they were growing in the grace and knowledge of Jesus and they were doing that because of her boldness to speak up and to say something and what I want us to get from this is that that's something we need to take from her 
when it comes to telling others, we don't need to worry about what others are going to think about us. She could have gone in that town and be like, you know, all these people think me of this low man on the totem pole. I'm a nobody. I ain't going to say nothing. Ain't going to do me no good. No, she didn't do that. And we shouldn't do that either. We shouldn't worry about what other things people are going to think about us, about our reputation. I'm just as guilty as everybody else. I worked in that industry for 16 years. If you know anything about construction, civil engineering, surveying, that's a rough industry. Right? There's some, there's some roughnecks in that industry. Okay? And I was all up in it. And it's easy to be like, I ain't bringing up Jesus in here. I ain't starting all that. But that shouldn't be the case. We shouldn't worry about our reputation. If anything, our reputation would be like, man, that's a Jesus dude. You talk to him, Jesus is coming out of him. Right? That should be it. We shouldn't worry about our reputation. Our reputation would be that, man, we're just going to pour out. We're going to shine his light. It's gonna, that's going to be us. We don't need to worry about our reputation. We don't need to worry about the outcome either. Or whether it might be a dud or, what, or, or whether they're going to accept Christ. We don't worry about that. We don't worry about the outcome. As long as we are genuine about the gospel, God's going to do his part. As long as you're doing what he's called you to do, God is going to do his part. It's just like Isaiah 40 verse 8 says. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of our God remains forever forever brothers and sisters God's word never returns void it never returns void I mean think about it if if you were to ask this Samaritan woman I'm sure she would have never conceived that her telling others would have brought so many people to know Christ I bet she would have never conceived that and because of that because of her not making excuses to tell others Hundreds of lives were changed for eternity. Not just right then and there to get to see Jesus. For eternity, their lives were altered because of this woman's boldness to speak up and to not make an excuse, but to say, no, I'm telling other people about this. I mean, think about it. It's even in the Word of God. So not only were hundreds of people impacted that day, thousands of people have been impacted ever since then because of her boldness to speak up. And to proclaim his word and about who he is. Christodom, one of our, uh, another early church father, he says this uh, when it comes to this verse. He says, For the soul, once kindled by divine flame, does not consider glory or shame or any other earthly consideration, only the flame that consumes it. She did not say, Come and believe, but come and see. For she certainly knew that if they only tasted of that well, they would feel as she did. She wasn't holding back. And as we close, I know Aaron's going to come up and sing, and, 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 uh, and as we get ready for that, there's something I want to ask you. First, to the, to the believer. Is how are you going to tell someone this new year? We got, we're celebrating New Year's Eve tonight. We've got the new year rolling in. How are you going to live this out? How are you going to tell someone in 2024? Not just next week. I'm talking about from here out. How are you going to live it out for this year? Or are you going to make more excuses? Get this going on. Get this going on. I just can't. I got all this. Are we going to make excuses? Or are we actually going to do it? Are we going to tell someone?
We're going to live it out. Don't make excuses. Just do it. Just do it. Because once again, eternity is at stake here. And you may not get another chance to talk to this person. Eternity is at stake. We need to be a stairway and not a stumbling block. A stairway and not a stumbling block. So that's my challenge to you. We've got New Year's resolutions. We've got all this coming up. How can you do this? How can you go and tell someone? Our church, I love this church. We are very mission-minded. We have so much going on. We have mission trips to, to Georgia, the country Georgia. We've got Denver, Colorado. We've got all these things coming up. But not only that, we have other things. We have VBS. We have all this other stuff that you can come in to tell others and to show God's love. So how are you going to do that this year? And I urge you to be praying how God can use you and, and, and say, God, you tell me where, I can, where you want me to serve you this year. Whether that's on mission, in the field, here at the church, in the community, whatever it may be. Lord, how can I be a stairway and not a stumbling block? Into the non-believer. In order to be able to do this, in order to, to be able to spread this good news, you first must have to know Christ. That, that's the key thing here. You can't just spread the word and, and not know Christ. You have to have this relationship. And that's my challenge to you. Are you going to keep, and make, keep making excuses, or is today going to be the day of the harvest for you? Is today going to be the day? In just a moment, like I said, we're going to sing... And if you need to make that commitment today, then don't wait another minute. Don't wait another minute. I would love, if you need to come down front, I would love to meet you down front if, we need, if you want to talk about it or pray about it and, and have a relationship with Christ. Or maybe God's calling you to something else. Maybe God's calling you to something more. Maybe he's calling you to missions or a commitment to ministry. Or you're just not really sure, but you know God's calling you to do something. And you just need somebody to pray with you. Me and the rest of the staff, we are here for you. So come down. We would love, love to be able to do that for you. Or, or maybe, maybe you just need to come to this altar, to these steps, and just lay it out to the Lord. And just make a commitment to spreading his, his word in this coming year. Like, God, just use me. Because... Scriptural. Sometimes we just need to come and lay it all down to the Lord. So let's pray. And then uh, we'll let Aaron close us out and sing. Let's all stand. Lord God, thank you so much for this time today to be able to come together on this New Year's Eve and to dive into your word and to see this perfect template of evangelism and Lord why we need to live this out Lord help us to live out what we discussed today help us Lord to, to tell others no matter no matter what it is no matter excuse we can try to come up with help us to tell others because as we just read the harvest is ready and no excuse is good enough that we need to do what you called us to do Lord and Lord, I want to pray for those that don't have a relationship with you. Lord, do not let them leave this place today without committing their life to you and having that peace and the joy that surpasses all understanding. 
Lord, once again, thank you so much for this time together. In your precious son's name we pray. Amen.